transformed by God and how God's doing some amazing things. Tonight I'm going to jump right into this unlikely. Um, <clears throat> and tonight the, the heading would be an unlikely place. We already established that we're an unlikely people, that um, you and I are not the most um, uh, readily acceptable vessels of God, right? And if we were to try and throw a dartboard and hit um, the faces of the people that God would use, most of the time we see that God uses people that are totally off the radar for us, totally not the perfect, most wholesome people you've ever met. It was funny, this week in this room, um, kind of interesting, in fact, uh, we had a bunch of pastors come to an event that I, I put on. It was called the Elephant Room, and it was about um, it, pastors coming together to have a conversation about things that pastors don't normally talk about, um, dealing with things between like denominations and, and different styles of church, and which one is the, most, the, the best style. I, I understand some of you are having that conversation in Bible class or whatever, and, and you know, it's kind of that, those conversations where people say, well, I don't go to that church because I don't like the way that pastor does that thing or I don't like the things that they talk about over there. And, and it was some really interesting conversations. But at the end of this, again, these guys are pastors of churches that have like, like 10,000 to 40,000 people in them. There's one of the guys, his church is 30,000, 40,000 people. I mean, that's, it's ridiculous. It looks like a giant shopping mall. It's amazing, right? Uh, a lot of these pastors have multiple campuses where they, can't, they know they can't fit enough people in their building, so they actually beam the message via video, and like 2,000 to 4,000 people show up in this auditorium to watch it on the screen because they're claiming that and proclaiming the name of Jesus, and God is doing some sweet stuff in their presence, right? But one of the pastors that I really like, he was talking about just his story on coming to Christ, and, and they asked him, and they said, what do you think church leadership will look like in the next 20 years? Kind of interesting. And, and he spoke up, and he said, well, here's, here's the interesting thing. He said, you know, I'm, I'm like 38 years old right now, I'm almost 40. He was like, but I didn't know anything about the Lord until I was like 19 years old. And one of the other guys spoke up and he was like, I came and visited a church when I was 16 years old. And I heard another pastor this week talking, talking about being a sophomore in high school and getting his locker next to a senior in high school when they were playing uh, basketball or football, I'm not sure. And the senior looked over at him and he said, um, hi, my name's so-and-so, introduced himself. He said, I don't know you, but I need to tell you about Jesus. When would you like me to do that? <laughs> like, that's just like the introduction. And he was like, Okay, big senior man. He's like, we can do it right now if you want, or we can set an appointment later, cool, after practice, however. But you, you need me to tell you about Jesus, because that's just the way I roll. And with that guy, with the help of that guy, this guy who has this church of thousands upon thousands of people came to accept Christ. This one guy went and he accepted Christ at 16 years old, had never heard about it. Another one of them, 19 years old, sitting in his dorm room, reading, getting ready to go to a frat party was reading a book of philosophy and realized that one of the greatest sins in the world is being prideful. And he laid down everything that he was and said, God, I, I, I need to be accepted by you. I need to lay down my pride. It's not me. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough without you. And so their response was, what would the church look like in the next 20 years? They said, there's people yet to come to Christ who are going to be leading the church of the next generation. 
And there's students in youth ministries, and they were talking about this specifically too. There's students that sit in our churches week in and week out and think God's not going to use me or God doesn't have anything for me. That He is preparing them and preparing their hearts and they have no clue that God wants to do something amazing and miraculous with their lives. And it doesn't just mean on the big scale. We are unlikely vessels of God, and yet God is an unlikely God. God is a God who chooses to use the most unique scenarios and situations. And and here's the thing, you and I um, are masterpieces. And your willingness to be used by God and to be available to God, that's what pleases Him. It's when we surrender and give over. If you want to know, how do I please God? It is this. Just being available to God. Saying, God, it's not me, but it's you. What is the end of the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom. Your deal. Your gig. Some of you are like, that was really funny to watch you. Like, you're trying to count on your fingers and it's not math. And you're like, I don't know. You've asked me a question too quick, right? Your kingdom. That's the stuff that pleases the heart of God the Father. When we say, it's not about me, it's all about you. And here's another point to that. Is God wants to use you in whatever location you find yourself. And you may think, but I'm just this kid in this place. What is God going to do with me? The one thing that I hear um, from kids who go to Christian school, uh, I'll use that example, is everybody I know goes to church. So what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to be like evangelizing people who go to church. Right? But there's a difference between going to church and being a Christian. Just like living in a garage doesn't make you a car, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, okay? Just because I like toast, it doesn't make me a toaster. It's just, that's the way that it goes. I Well, I go to church. I mean, you can't believe how many times I've heard that before. But as long as you're not submitted to God's authority, you're not any more beyond anything than anything else. And then in the, in the public school setting, this is, this is the one crazy thing. I tell students this all the time. And if you go to public school, here's the thing. If you go to private school, here's your thing. You sit in class. How do the teachers most often line up your classrooms? With your seats. Alphabetical, but you all sit in rows. Generally, how many people sit around you? Four. There's usually a little square of people around you, right? Sometimes six, six if you're in a public school because they cram as many people in the room as they can, right? You are a missionary who's required to go to school by the state of California and the government of the United States. They require you to go to school. And every time you sit down in a classroom, you need to look around and recognize that God has put people around you who need His Son, Every day that you and I walk into our classroom and we sit down, we have to recognize that God wants to use us right then, right there, even in the midst of algebra, even in the midst of economics, even in the midst of all the other things that we're doing. There are people sitting around you who are hurting. Here's the thing. Um, There's an artist. His name's Monet. 
Everybody, I like Monet, like the green stuff too. Give me that Monet. All right, so, you know, you know, I got skills. Don't worry, don't worry. They'll come out later. All right, you hang out for a while after. I got a, I got a million of those. All right. So Monet was a very interesting artist because he did some things and he did some works that that nobody ever saw the world like like he saw it. One of the crazy things is he struggled with cataracts. Like he had, and I don't know if you know what cataracts are like, like but basically like having glassy, foggy glasses, right? And it's like a film that grows over your eyes so you can't see everything the same. And Monet did this painting um, right here. It's huge. Like those are seating benches um, in the Louvre where you can sit and look at this painting called Water Lilies by Monet. Like, and it looks kind of crazy, right? Like, this is one of the most famous paintings in the world. And people will come, and they will sit there, and they will sit on those benches, and they'll just be in awe. The thing about Monet is he was cruising down wherever he was going, and wherever he did this painting, he was cruising by, and he saw this pond with these water lilies in a way that nobody had ever seen it before. And they talk about it because he not only got the lilies, but he got like some of the reflection and his perspective on it. And he began to put it down onto these these, uh, canvases. And the depth and the vibrance of the colors and the way that he did it changed everything for people of his day. And here's the thing. It's no big. Like, I don't even know where this is from. Was the place, was the location the biggest deal here? No. It was the perspective of the artist. The perspective of the artist changed the way that everyone saw that pool. And here's the thing. You and I, we cruise through our daily lives and we lose perspective, right? I just, I'm just at school. I'm just with my friends. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. And we kind of make it like everyday ordinary while God is sitting and looking at you and going, but I've put you here for a reason. I've put you here for a purpose. You Be used by me. I put you in the middle of that classroom to sit next to that girl whose boyfriend just broke up with her and she's broken and she's hurt because she trusted that he could make her complete and she could find her completeness in him and she realized that that's not going to happen and she needs my son. Will you be willing to tell her about my son? The perspective of the artist changes everything about the location. The perspective of the artist in that picture is what makes that picture worth anything. And I want to challenge us as children of God, not just, not children, but sons and daughters of God. Because sometimes we hear that and we're like, yeah, we're just children. But as sons and daughters of God, can we get a perspective that says, I want to take my scenario and my place and make it holy. In the Bible, there's a section of Scripture. If you'll pull that up, Kenny, real quick. Um, I put up here, 
Uh, you can pass that on. I already went past that. That was a good one, though. Um, it says, John 1, 45 through 46. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? In Jesus' day, Nazareth, we were talking about this ahead of time with our leaders, right? Um, and it's funny how we work. It's like uh, living, if you live in Visalia, you kind of think, oh, we're better than Tulare, right? And if you, you live in Tulare, you kind of go, yeah, yeah. And you kind of look down and you go, oh, but those people from Tipton, oh, poor people. And if you lived in P- Tipton, you look at Pixley and you go, oh, poor Pixley. And if you live in Pixley, they go, yeah, but there's Early Mart. <laughs> and then if you live in Early Mart, you're like, but have you been to Shafter? <laughs> and, then, and then we all just go, Bakersfield, right? And so, but here's the thing, right? The people kind of looked as, at Nazareth. There was a few things, if you were from Nazareth, that are guaranteed. One, you're, you're dumb as a brick because you don't have any education. No schools. You're dumb. Two, you're poor. If you're from Nazareth, you're poor. Three, if you're from Nazareth and you're in my neighborhood, we're locking the doors because you're probably trying to rob me, right? That's what all the Visalia people do about the early martyrs when they come up, right? Oh, you know, the old ladies locking their car doors. Anyway, so, but here's the thing. We do this thing where we, we look at the location and we think surely God couldn't find something there. And they did that to Jesus. They looked at Jesus and they said, yeah, you look nice and great and wonderful, but nothing good can come from Nazareth. Nothing good can come from there. One of the coolest things, I, I, I love this, and, and I'll tell them that I talked about him later, but... Um, there's this guy playing basketball at CBC right now. His name's Grant Verhoeven. And he is, you guys, if you went to Union, you know Grant. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, sorry, girls. You know. Yeah, domination. So, um, but, but it, it, it's one of the coolest things to watch. Like, it, he elevates the play of everybody around him. Right, Josh? Right? You would feel that, right? You got the flow now, right? You got a little swagger, right? When I hang out with Grant, I'm like, I can say anything I want to right now, you know? And you go, what? I got the tall guy, right? He's like 6'12 or something like that. He's enormous, right? And, and what is he, like 6'9, 6'8, 6'10, 6'11? 6'9, all right? He's way more sixes than I am, all right? So here's the thing. This guy comes from this little tiny school. And it's kind of like people look and they go, oh, that's nice. You guys can win your little division and your little small schools area and your little whatever, right? And then this guy walks in the gym and you're like, whoa, he's, he's biggish, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden you realize like his feet are up by your nose as he's dunking over you and you're like, oh, he's the Lord of basketball, Right? And you've got ESPN writing him up as player of the week. And you've got Stanford recruiting him as their number one guy. And you've got all this stuff. And they're writing articles about him, doing all this stuff. Everybody on the team is playing a little bit better. You have all this opportunity, all this thing. And you look at it and you think, every once in a while, maybe somebody good can't come up from a place like that. When Jesus was growing up, that was Nazareth. And when Jesus rolled into town, people went, 
you're just from this little tiny place with nothing. Come on, get a grip. You can't do that. You can't accomplish that. You can't be that. And God said, the perspective of the artist changes everything. Because Jesus started looking around and he started recognizing it's about people's brokenness. It's not about where I came from. It's not about the things that I can do or the accomplishments that I can have. It's about the people around me who need to know the Savior, who need to know me, who need to know my heart. And everywhere Jesus went, people's lives were changed. There's places in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it says Jesus literally walked out into places and all people wanted to do was touch him because they knew if they just touched him that they would be healed. And literally they were. they walk up, boom, you know, ah, you know. And he did stuff. He like regrew people's body parts and, and raised people from the dead and, and did all kinds of crazy, miraculous stuff. But, but he was from Nazareth. Like, no. Pull up this other verse, Kenny, that we had in there. It says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 22-25 says, It is foolish to the Jews who ask for the signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Jesus Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and to the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. In the moment when you think it's just another day with just the same people you've grown up with, in just the everyday scenarios that you've walked around in, in just the same math class, in just the same English class, in just the same homeroom class, there are people sitting around you wherever you are and God wants to use that place. I want you to think of this. Think of moments in your lives. Don't, don't close your eyes because some of you are really sleepy right now. Okay? But think about this. Think of the places. Like, you have key moments in your life that you have really good memories. Like those key moments in your life. And think, we associate most of those moments with places. Think about that. Like, if I were to say, what was the best what was your best moment, like your top five moments? Most often, we'll start off by saying, well, I was at Disneyland with my family, or I was on vacation with my family, or I was at school and this happened, or and we associate places to all of those things we experience. And God is saying this to us. I want to take your everyday, normal, dumb, ridiculous places and I want to use them for my glory and my honor and my name and my renown. So tonight, I just want to pray with you as we wrap up and as I finish this off. We need to begin seeing things as God does because God sees the potential where you and I don't. And Jesus works through the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places through the most unlikely circumstances. There is a pastor who pastors the church of 15,000 members who pastors the church because one guy stripping down to his skivvies to change into his athletic clothes said, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. When would you like to do that? He looks back and he says, it's funny to hear him tell, he's like, 
I literally look back at my conversion experience and I see this guy in his drawers at the locker every time in my head and I'm thinking, why did you have to use that? But God uses unlikely people in unlikely places with unlikely timing to change the way their world works. I want to pray with you. Let's pray. So God, I ask this week, would you help us to become sensitive to your spirit and the way that you want to work in us and through us and the places that you want to work? God, I pray that you would protect us from the places that would steal our joy and our passion and would separate us from you and you would put us in the places where we can accomplish your will and your goal and your glory for your name. Father, we are unlikely people who walk around in unlikely places to be used by you. And we submit to who you are and ask that you would use us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just challenge you this week. There's some of you that have never shared your faith with anyone. I mean, there's probably a lot of us. I want you to try and find at least one way this week. Try to find two or three if you can. But just to be in a place where you would normally be this week and just turn to somebody easy as this. Hey, have I ever told you how God changed my life? You can do that in a Christian school. You can do that in a public school. You can do that in a home school. But the more that you and I begin to tell people how God, how Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, changed our lives, the more we'll begin to live for Him. Have a great week.